So over the years, I have talked till I'm blue in the face about Google Ads. And folks who have watched videos of mine in the past or listened to the podcast have heard me talk about Google Ads ad nauseum. And I will occasionally talk about Facebook ads. But truth be told, when I look at uh, the, the long history of my career and look at what I've seen with other studios do and even look at the experience studios have in like hiring uh, Google people versus Facebook people, um, I would say that in general, I, Daniel, have found uh, Google to be the platform I've been more comfortable with. But that doesn't mean that Facebook is not a good place to get customers or students for your studio. And so I thought today I'd bring on a person that I met not too long ago who um, some of my clients have been using for Facebook ads who, and I'm just going to say this, Elizabeth, um, who I was very impressed with when I started talking shop with her about Facebook ads. So I brought Elizabeth on today to talk about Facebook ads and to go through a little bit, just like a kind of a crash course on how to uh, make Facebook ads that are uh, really powerful, that are really, um, that, that'll do the job that they're supposed to do. So welcome back to the podcast. I'm Daniel. Nate's not with us today, but I am joined by Elizabeth. And um, Elizabeth, tell us a little bit about who you are and how you came to be building Facebook ad funnels. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I am a digital media specialist, but I work for an agency that specializes in paid media um, and additionally specializes in paid media for music schools. So I think with that specialization and being able to work with like multiple clients, we all our music schools are based in the U.S., but across the United States, it's that insight into so many different like individual music schools and their platforms, how their business works, how it functions, that we've been able to use all that like gathering of data to come up with a structure that really does work for music schools. Because yeah, Daniel, like I totally agree. Starting Facebook ads is not something where it's just like, oh yeah, jump in, just try it. It'll work out okay. Yeah. It really might not. It, it can be really <laughs> challenging. So yeah, yeah uh, I'm really happy yeah, to be absolutely. on I keep here, going, happy though. to share some insight into what we found works and like what kind of a good formula is, what things, some things to look out for on Facebook ads, because mm. yeah, it really can be challenging to make it work. Love that. Um, before we jump into question one, I just want to drop a word for the two sponsors of this podcast, grouplessons.com and M Big Music Games, both systems that uh, both small studios and large studios can deploy in their studio to gamify the learning experience for kids. Uh, grouplessons.com is a group piano method that allows students to enter and exit a class anytime and can help you see class sizes of up to 12 with just one teacher. And Big Music Games is the brainchild of Nate and all those awesome people over at Brooklyn Music Factory. Um, it is a game-based curriculum uh, that allows kids, again, to have fun, be more engaged in their music lessons. You can check out grouplessons.com or go to bigmusicgames.com slash 7FMS to get more information about both of those systems. And uh, they are beloved sponsors of the podcast, as I've been saying. Maybe just the first question I would ask you is, why do you think people do have such difficulty making Facebook ad funnels or making Facebook ads work? And what are the typical issues that you've seen when you've gotten into someone's account and, and seen what they've done trying to hack it together themselves? Um, there's a couple of answers to that question, but maybe the two main things is one, Facebook is a platform that has changed significantly. So if you ran ads on Facebook in 2015 and they worked great for you, that same structure is not going to work for you now. 
So that's a that's a very fair issue. It is something where there are modern practices that work best with how Facebook or Meta functions currently. And if you don't have those modern practices, yeah, old ways of rolling out ads are not going to work anymore. Secondly, Facebook is very good at spending money, but isn't necessarily good at ensuring that that is effective for your business. So if you think about it, like Facebook just needs to make you, the person spending money, happy. So they'll give you numbers that you like to see. People like to see big numbers. So if you just set up, you know, a generic Facebook campaign following their prompts, you'll probably spend a lot of money and you'll probably get a lot of clicks or impressions or views, that kind of thing. Facebook will say, look, your campaign is doing so great. Thousands of impressions. And yet you won't see a difference like on the back end on your business. So it's not actually effective. So the issue there is that your Facebook setup needs to really deeply consider what is the action that you need somebody to take and how does that actually provide value for you? Then figure out how to tell Facebook, hey, here's what I actually need to happen from this campaign and here's how much it's worth to me. You can go into that level of detail in the setup and that's usually what's missing is that people are setting up Facebook campaigns focused on impressions or clicks or views or things that don't provide tangible value to your business. Right. Yes. So before I got a question too, let me just press in on this a little bit more, not necessarily push back on what you've said, but I just want to throw an idea out there and see how you react to it. Um, in my mind, it's like, okay, here I am a local studio or a local school. I want students within a three to five mile radius. So let me target you know, women ages 28 to 42. Uh, let me put in there in the demographic section, if that's even still a thing, like, you know, children. Um, let me put some good creative out there, like make a creative offer. And then let me just throw 100, 200 bucks behind it. Like, in my mind, it just seems like, why wouldn't that work to, to do something like that? Because that's kind of what I'm hearing that people are doing. And maybe you are going to explain it later, but why can't it just be that simple? I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm kind of, um, I, I'm, I might be putting you in a place where you just have to answer the same thing you just said, but I, I just wanted to press the point a little bit because I do sense that frustration in people that I talk to where they think, how hard is it? I, let me just target in a small area and do that. Like what, what's wrong with that? Absolutely. So that's like exactly what kind of I was going at at the introduction is that that's exactly how you would set up a successful Facebook funnel maybe five years ago. Yes. And that yeah. is no longer what the platforms are going to allow to succeed. So we can maybe give Meta the benefit of the doubt there and say maybe they've come up with better ways to do it. But regardless, they're no longer going to reward that level of control. And generally, across both Google and Meta, your campaigns are actually going to perform better, essentially, when you just have to trust the platform a bit more. So I would usually launch two different ad sets, one with a completely broad um, audience, and then the other just targeting parents. So it's not targeting parents like with particular interests or anything else. In between those two, sometimes the broad set outperforms and sometimes the parents does, but we don't see any more detailed targeting perform. Again, like, no, it doesn't quite make sense logically, but it really is just, you know, if you were to go on, say, TikTok is something where TikTok, the algorithm is very good at saying, you watch this video, you're going to like this one, or you have this interest, yes. you're going to like this 
completely unrelated thing. Mm -hmm. So we, like setting up the campaigns, feel like I have a pretty good idea of the type of person who is my customer. And you might just not know because you don't have as much data as the platform does. So what the platform is able to do, again, it's it's giving some trust to Meta, which hopefully is warranted, is yeah. able to pinpoint people who are your audience based on factors that like you have no idea would be a sign that they would be a good customer for you or they would actually follow through and sign up for something. That's really detailed and helpful. I like that. Um, I feel like I'm learning something here. So if someone's listening to this, they're thinking, okay, so how then do I build it correctly? What are the most basic elements that need to be present in a successful Facebook funnel? Yeah. Um, so the first big thing is tracking. Okay. Tracking is not something that you can just jump the gun and say, oh, I'll just set it up and it'll work. I don't really have to know. I don't really care how many forms get filled out or if you offer trial lessons. I don't really care how many trial lessons get signed up. I'll just track like how many people get on the landing page and go based off of that. But if you don't set up detailed tracking, you're never actually going to be able to understand how well your performance are campaigning. Additionally, the platform doesn't have enough data to optimize for those actually valuable conversions. So you have to have good tracking. You have to have a good understanding of what conversion actions you're looking for and how valuable they are to you, how much you care about each different conversion action. Um, for music schools, location targeting, as you mentioned, yes, zip codes around your music school, that's absolutely how to set it up. And then finally, good images or videos because Facebook, which includes ads on both Facebook and Instagram, it's very, very, very focused on the creative. Your ad copy isn't going to make nearly as much of a difference as the images or videos that you're showing. Mm. Those can really make or break a campaign. Yes. And I really think people should rewind and listen to that again. Uh, I often talk about how important ad copy, or I'm sorry, I often talk about how important copywriting is. But what I found in both Google and what Elizabeth's saying here is that that ad copy isn't as important uh in in ads and specifically for facebook the images and videos are more important let me ask you two small questions uh you talked about tracking and conversion optimization what what should we be optimizing for yeah um your most valuable conversion actions that a person can take so if somebody lands on your website what do you want them to do in most cases it's going to be fill out a form Got it. If you offer trial lessons, that's great too, because that's even further down the funnel. That's some commitment. That's more information. That's often like a small fee or something. So trial lessons, info forms, as well as you can optimize for contacts. So calls or emails or texts. Um, but those are going to be not as important. So if you, if I had to choose, it'd be the most valuable conversion action, which would generally be trial lessons if you offer it. And if not, it'd be a lead form. Okay. And if there was a form that they had to fill out for the trial lesson, then mm -hmm. what we want to do is tell Facebook in, and I'm, I'm actually asking more for verification. I'm not actually teaching here, but my understanding of this is you want to have your tracking pixel on your landing page or website, and then you'd want to designate which page they go to that represents the conversion action. And then that sends information back to meta and meta then says, oh, they did the thing they wanted. Let's find more people like that. Yes, you can actually set up conversion tracking where it, where it tracks the actual form submit. And then you can optimize for it's a, a lead conversion on Meta. Is there anything more that you'd like to talk about as it 
surrounds conversion. I know I had that one question there, but is there anything else that you think would be valuable to communicate again for someone who's wanting to set things up in such a way that uh, they're getting they're getting what they want, which is more leads and and eventually more students. Yeah, um, there is, this would be maybe like, I'll give a hint of a bit more advanced strategy. Okay. Um, so one thing that we do for a lot of our clients is we actually attach conversion values to each action. So we'll calculate the dollar value of what a trial lesson brings in. So say the lifetime value of a student is $3,000 and 60% of students who take a trial lesson turn into a full-time student. That means that the dollar value of each trial lesson is $2,000. While say maybe just 30% of people who fill out a form turn into a full-time student, the value of a lead form is $1,000. So if you wanna go a bit more advanced, you can actually set up your conversions as purchase events, as well as that lead form or trial lesson or whatever, then attach a dollar value to it then you can optimize for those dollar values by optimizing for purchase value on Facebook. That'd be the, it is a bit more advanced. It wouldn't be what I'd recommend initially, but if you want to upgrade your current setup, that's a great way to do it. It really prioritizes your ad spend. It tells Meta what is more important, what is less important. So if you think that you could get a trial lesson out of it, like, yeah, spend more money to show this ad to somebody. Um, it, it can be really effective for some music schools. This is a good place to ask you a really specific question, which is, what do you think about Facebook lead ads? I have experimented with both, and I have heard with just a few clients where they had tried, you know, Facebook vanilla, uh, and not really got a lot of results out of it. But they tried lead ads, and like, oh yeah, I'm just getting leads hand over fist because of these lead ads. What's your opinion on those? So just to clarify, are you talking about the difference between like a campaign optimizing or the campaign objective is sales versus leads? Got it. Okay. Yeah. Let me be more clear. So what I'm talking about is a campaign structure, the comparison between two campaign structures, one where you have a Facebook ad where they click the ad and they're taken to a landing page or your website versus the campaign structure where they click an ad on Facebook and they fill in their lead details right there inside the Facebook newsfeed, what Facebook has called a Facebook lead ad, so to speak. Yeah, um, I can see how that would be effective. That's not a structure that we use for our clients because mm. as I mentioned, we have that different setup with the conversion yes. values. So it's not actually, it, it doesn't work um, to run yes. those lead ads, but but I, I'm not that surprised to hear. I could yeah. see how that could be effective for music schools. And I will just put in here that the, the trade-off I've noticed and I'm just going to tell a brief story here in that I have enough big clients who are working with me one-to-one -one where I'm kind of an advisor or coach or something of like that, where I'm hearing what a third party is doing for them. And generally what I've seen or heard is that when they're using that lead ad structure where they're filling in details right in the newsfeed, that they do get more leads, but often they find that the leads are of a much lower quality. Uh, they flake out easier. Uh, they've even had cases where they've gotten a lead ad and then they've called back an hour, two, three hours later, and the person even forgot they filled the form out. Whereas if if you're using the structure that you're talking about, um, that there's a little bit more commitment that the that the potential client has to show 
to jump through the hoops necessary to do those conversion actions you're talking about. By the way, I'm not knocking anyone who's making lead ads work for them, or if you've got an agency that's making word ad, lead ads work for you, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not, not necessarily knocking that one. It's just that with every decision one makes in marketing, there is a trade-off. There's pros and cons to each approach. And obviously, we brought Elizabeth on here today to talk about the approach that she's really good at. So let's actually get back to that. Um, where would a Where would a... What would be good to go to next in terms of um, walking someone through how to how to set all this up correctly? Yeah, for sure. We can just kind of chat through what a camps campaign structure could look like. Nice. It is something that's like you know it may be a bit hard to cover on a podcast, but we can give an Ooh, overview. Yeah. Um, it, and yeah, it's just kind of tying together what we've been talking about about conversion values, about thinking through the process, like how does this work? How do you want it to work for you? What actually helps your business? So how do you actually set up a campaign? Um, Big picture, I would just think through what we're already talking about. We want trackable, defined conversions. We don't want to be optimizing for things like reach or impressions or things where you have no idea if it ever actually helped you, what the payoff was, if it ever worked. You really want to know what exactly is going on and what is kind of benefiting your business and how much it is. That's how you can make informed decisions. Because sometimes, yeah, like Facebook might not work for every school. And so you should be able to have the information to make that decision based on actual data, not just kind of like set up a campaign, see if maybe it works, feel like it doesn't, and then just <laughs> like, it's never going to work. So right. to set up a campaign, again, your tracking really needs to be dialed in and your conversions really need to be dialed in. So what are your conversions? What are you looking for? And then your campaign structure should reflect that. So your campaign objective should be sales or lead. It shouldn't be anything like reach or impressions, anything like that. Um, Your conversion location should be on your website. So you don't want to just leave it up to meta to say, hey, somebody clicked, that counts. We want to be tracking through what what actions are happening on your website and did they actually follow through. Your performance goal should be based on that maximized number of conversions. Again, not, not impressions, not anything like that. Maximized number of conversions or value of conversions, if you have a setup that that um, it allows for that, <laughs> then your conversion event should be, yeah, if you're picking one, it should be that most valuable conversion event, like a start trial or a lead event. And then your audience, this is maybe one to spend a bit more time on because like we've talked about, it is different now. So the way I would set up a campaign now is with two different ad groups with different audiences, one is a broad audience. I maybe limit it by age, say 25 and up, because um, yeah. probably you're not going to get a ton of clients under 25. Right. And limit it by the zip codes around your school. Wouldn't go crazy broad, maybe 10 miles, even five miles if you're, you're in a highly populated area to start. And then I'd run three ads within that ad set of different, maybe one video, two images. You can leave the same copy in them that have very different creative images of like the exterior of your school can work really well. Then copy those three ads to your other ad set and run a parent's audience. That's the only difference between the two ad sets. Mm. That's like a lot to run through. But if you were able to set that up, there's like an excellent chance that that would actually work for you. Eventually, maybe a couple months down the road, you can see which ad group is performing better, that broad audience or the parents audience. You just turn off the other and keep rolling with that one, switching out new creative. That's like 
the simplified version of how I would set up a successful Facebook funnel. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you still find that video ads tend to perform better than picture ads? Um, I know that's yes, an absolute. <laughs> yeah, I know that's an absolute. Like you know, if you have the world's worst video versus the world's best picture, yeah, maybe it won't perform that way. But that's that's something that I found. I just was curious if that's something that you still find to be true. Yes. In general, um, yeah. it is. General video is just more interesting. Yeah. People are more intrigued. They follow through. One interesting one is we found a lot of images. I mentioned it. Pictures of the exterior of your studio. So just like the front of the building with your building sign on it. Shockingly good performance almost across the board. And it doesn't matter if the buildings are like cute or like, you know, an older strip mall. It, those have been highly effective and even to go more detailed, like an image of your door with your logo on it. Things like, I don't know why that works, but I guess people like to maybe imagine or picture themselves showing up to the school. They're like, wow, this is a real place. Um, but honestly, <laughs> those images are outperforming our video ads in most accounts, but second is usually yes, a video. Wow. And you heard it here first, folks. This is where we're delivering the hard-hitting facts on how to build these awesome <laughs> Facebook campaigns. That's that's really interesting. I would always run it in tandem with, Other like things. I'd start the account with maybe an image of the exterior of the building, a video, maybe a testimonial video. You record parents saying things about their students' lessons, edit together to a 30-second video. And then thirdly, an image of a kid in a lesson. Wow. Those are that's that's your best bet to start with. And then it really does vary. Uh, who knows what will work for you. Okay. If you run image ads, do you prefer to run a single image ad or a carousel image or carousels? Generally single image. We have done some testing with carousel ads and it's semi-promising, but it's not like blow it out of the water, excellent performance. Okay. Um, so again, that is something like all of this, which is going to be specific to your school or your demographic. Sometimes random things just perform really well. So it's certainly worth a test, but it's not um, like a guaranteed best performer generally on our Interesting. Accounts. Okay. And I'm going to step away maybe just for like a half minute here from the, the kind of the, the, campaign and funnel structure we've been talking about and just ask your opinion or even ask if you have have an opinion on on this and that is um is there any reason in your mind for someone to use the boost post button so let's say they post something to their facebook news feed and it's like a student performance or they're highlighting student of the month or something like that do you see any reason to use the boost post button and you know boost it to let's say a saved audience or people who like the page. Do you find any value in that? Very little. Okay. Um, Why is that? So the main issue there, it honestly ties into what we're talking about, sure. is the conversion tracking. So if that post is like link has a link to your site or something where people can fill out a form or whatever. That's great, like it might provide value, but you're really not gonna be able to track it as well as you could within an ad campaign. Mm -hmm. So if you're just going for like broader visibility, you want the community to know about you, you don't really care about like tangible payback, sure, go for it. It, it does broaden your reach. But in terms of like performance-based marketing, where you really wanna ensure that your money is going somewhere useful, 
that's that's not usually a strategy that we would employ. Interesting. So if you did run content like that, you would do it within the context of not just the boost post button, but you'd actually go into ad, you know, into business manager, you'd build a campaign proper and do it with that more complex, more effective structure. Yeah. So if you have an organic post that just is taking off, people love it. Use that exact image in your ads if possible. Like if you have the permissions to do that, that's a great way to do like kind of a cheaper testing. So you don't have to test within your ad campaign. If you want to kind of test organically, see what works, then put that into the paid side of things that that can be a great structure to use. Okay. Okay. Uh, and just to completely affirm what you're saying years ago, uh, I had, you know, back when I was still teaching, um, I had a picture I took of a, of a student. And of course I had all the proper permissions, blah, 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 from the parents. They were totally cool with it. But this young lady had just passed her book and, um, it was like the right angle. It, you know, she was like eight, nine years old. It was the right angle. It was the right light. You know, the background was perfect. I did some touch-ups in this one, um, photo editing app that I used. And I saw the performance on that particular photo just outperform probably every photo that I'd done in years prior to that. It was just, it was perfect. I mean, it, I mean, you know, not to brag, but it kind of looked professional. Um, so totally, totally agree with what you're saying there. If you have like a really great image or you, you look at it and you're like, whoa, since when did I become a professional photographer? And you're just like, I'm really proud of this picture. You're probably going to find that it works really well. Another thing is there was this one stock photo that um, I found where it just was this girl. She had this blissful look on her face. She had headphones on and it looked like she was just enraptured. Again, young kid. And I used that in, um, in some marketing that I did, not only in ads, but also in landing pages. And that photo outperformed so many other things that I tried that I, I don't know if I ever beat that photo. And then I started using it with clients and clients started using it too. So um, I, I see it popping up and I know, oh, they've that's the idea for me. <laughs> Want to um, send it over? I'll yeah, <laughs> I actually have it on a landing page. I can send you a landing page that I'm that I still run for some studios. Um, you should check it out. I'll, I'll send it to you <laughs> afterwards. Which is interesting. You know, I do want to talk to you about landing pages briefly before we end here. Um, but do you have anything else you want to say about campaign structure or you know anything like that before we move on to maybe landing pages? Uh, yeah, I guess last thought on that creative, like you're talking about, it is very interesting to see how incredibly different images can perform very well. So we've had the same where it's like, okay, this picture looks professional, it looks great, and that's our best performer on one account. But on a lot of others, it's like the pictures that I like feel bad even launching the ad, like just bad lighting, bad quality, you know, the classroom is some bright color, which like orange that burns your eyes I'm sure really fun for the student but like rough in the picture and sometimes like we call them ugly ads so like make ugly ads is is a thing and sometimes the really ugly images work because it looks more natural like it kind of fits right in with the Facebook feed it feels less like an ad so the takeaway there is just like try it all you you don't know what's going to work don't just like rule out something because you don't like it give it a shot and it, it really might be like surprisingly good performance just like those exterior image shots who would have thought that that works but it does yeah and that goes back to some of the earliest 
uh, wisdom that we have from like the old school marketers, like Claude Hopkins, scientific advertising, like you have to test. Totally agree. Um, let's talk about landing pages because a lot of the folks who are, are listening to this are likely either going to be sending that traffic from Facebook to either a lesson page or an offer page on their site or a landing page. So let's talk about how to optimize landing pages and maybe what optimal structure is. For those who already have some success with this, this might be a, a little bit of repeat, but I bet you've got some uh, some wisdom here that, that'll surprise all of us. So uh, let's talk landing pages. Yeah, for sure. Um, so if I were to just like boil down what the fundamental structure of a landing page looks like, I'd say make it like a sandwich. So the bread of your sandwich is going to be calls to action. So fill out the form or book a trial lesson. That's going to go on the top and bottom of your page. Then the meat of the sandwich is going to be information about your school, value propositions, details on your location, testimonials from people. So the thought behind that structure is if somebody clicks on your ad, lands on your landing page, and they are just ready to go, they're ready to book a lesson, they should have the opportunity to do that immediately. They should be able to get on that landing page, immediately click a button to follow through, done, it's over. <clears throat> if they're not quite ready, they don't really know that much about your school, they don't really wanna to commit to anything, they're feeling it out, they should be able to scroll down the landing page, find out more about you, more about what you do, be convinced that this is a good fit for them. Then once they're at the bottom of the page, they should have another opportunity to follow through on that action. Um, so that kind of structure is just like the bare bones of how most, if not all, landing pages should be set up. Then there's a lot more detail on like what that, the different elements of the inside of that landing page could look like. Okay. Um, before we talk about some of those details, I'm going to take a risk here. So we obviously, this is a podcast. We also release this as a video on YouTube. Um, I'm going to do a little screen share here. Um, that's actually the image that I was talking about. That Can you see it there? <laughs> yeah. Okay. She does um, look happy. Yeah, she looks very happy. And uh, this image just outperformed for so many years. And this is just a stock photo I got sometime in like 2014, 2015. Um, and then in terms of that sandwich st structure, and I, I'm putting myself on the spot here, but um, this is a, a landing page that um, I have been using for a long, long time and uh, has performed quite well. And I think it really demonstrates the sandwich structure you're talking about. Call to action at the top, some information about the student in the middle, testimonials, uh, social proof, and then call to action at the bottom. I'm curious if you have any thoughts about this structure. <laughs> hey, I mean, you just matched exactly what I said pretty well. <laughs> so that's a great start. Right, cool. Um, yeah, that is. So I do like this landing page because it's very focused on one call to action. That can sometimes be challenging for schools because there's multiple calls to action that they want. So yes. they kind of, we would love a call. We would love a form submit. We would love a trial lesson. I, I mean, there might be an example where I'm wrong and there's a great performing landing page out there that has more, but I don't see a reason that you should ever have more than two clear calls to action at once. So maybe give them the option of a form submit or a trial lesson, but don't add any more than that. If they really want to do more, they can find it somewhere else. But once you just like layer in a lot of options, it can be really hard to do. So no, at first glance, I can tell why that landing page works. <laughs> that really has all the essential elements that I think you need. 
So let's get into what those essential elements are, um, just because uh, obviously those who couldn't see it might need to hear that. Um, but also, I'm really curious to learn as well. So what are those essential elements from your perspective? Yeah, for sure. So number one would be just like details of what are you offering? So what instruments do you offer? Because generally Facebook campaigns, we're just going to send to a general lessons landing page on Google. We target it a lot more. And so it's been like piano ads to a piano landing page, guitar to guitar. But Facebook is just going to be general, take music lessons. Here's a music lesson landing page. So outline what it is that you're offering. Like how long are your lessons? How do they book them? What does your scheduling look like? Just the basic information about your school. Um, We also generally have a block on there that's just like about your location. So again, it's gonna be an image of your location as well as your hours, your contact information, like phone number, your address. So they should know, okay, here's where it is. Here's what it looks like. Um, Testimonials are really excellent. So you can pull these like from Google reviews or you can just ask people for a testimonial, just like pull in a quote or a couple. Um, about people's experience because it really is important. It's funny, but like I guess in the world of of scams, anything that you can do to like tell people we're legit and this is a real offer and you should take advantage of this and real people like it, that that can help you a lot. So putting in quotes, um, images are great or videos. There you should have multiple images throughout your landing page to keep up the visual interest. This should not be just like a massive page of paragraphs and paragraphs of text. You should be able to really condense this key information into a couple of lines and then spread it out to make it interesting and visually like happy to look at and not just like a mindless scroll of information. Um, Yeah, so it should be pretty simple, but get all that key information in there. And as much as you can do to like categorize it, here's our like location information, here's the lessons information, here's the booking a trial lesson information, spread it out, make it easy to skim, easy to understand. And then if people want more detail, it, it should be there. Have you noticed in your own personal experience, because again, and I can't stress this enough, I do have, I know of folks who are working with you and uh, just have glowing things to say. Um, so I really take your opinion seriously on this. Is there one particular offer that you've seen work better than others, i.e., just like offering the free trial lesson versus like the all class pass or, uh, you know, like a voucher or a coupon? Like, do you see one particular offer working better or does it not matter? I wonder what your opinion is on that. Yeah, it does matter because that is a pretty big reason why people would sign up or not. But it is a really interesting calculation to where you you don't want to give away too much. So for example, like a free trial lesson, honestly, a lot of clients have an issue with that because people are pretty willing to sign up for a free trial lesson. But the type of person who wants to sign up as a full-time student might, you don't get as many of those. You get more people who just want one free lesson and then they leave. So sometimes something like a lower fee, $20 or whatever, for what would usually be a $60 lesson there's enough buy-in there that they're more likely to become a full-time student. So that's kind of the deal with all of these offers is that you really have to study and take into consideration, like, are you giving away too much with no real buy-in? 
or can you get real buy-in, but also make it like a really great offer. So one of our, uh, we have had like a two free lessons offer work, but again, that's like, that's a bit more commitment than one free lesson, which is interesting because mm. it, it is huh. more giveaway, yeah. but you have people showing up twice. So things like that, it's like, ah, you know, there, there can be some nuance there. Yeah, I would never, I never would have guessed that that would have worked. Yeah. Do you find that even charging a lower amount for like the single lesson, what do you have to do on the landing page? From your perspective, what do you have to do to get people over the barrier to trust to even, you know, put down the 20 bucks to come in? Because, um, you know, my thinking is, the free trial lesson, they still are paying with their time. So there is a bit, again, not an argument against what you said here, but, um, you know, they could just no show, but a lot of times people that would come in, you know, they've given up their time, they've gone out of their way. So how do you get people over the hurdle of having to pay $20 and put the risk on themselves of like, what if these people stink? Like I'm out to 20 bucks, you know, um, is there anything you put in the landing page to overcome that hurdle? Yeah, there is. And even maybe more than just like the hurdle of paying the money, sometimes it's a hurdle of signing up. Like it's mm -hmm. a lot of work, honestly, to get out yeah. your credit card and fill out all your information. Yes. So a lot of times if you have like a booking engine, you might get a click into that booking engine and then just nobody completes the process. So one thing that we add to all of our landing pages for clients that offer a free trial lesson is we'll outline the steps of what the booking process is going to look like. So it's going to be like maybe three blocks and it'll be like, you'll click your date and time, you'll select your teacher, you'll add your information. So we simplify the process. We show it to them like on one little block on the landing page. Then when they click that button into the booking engine, they know what the process is going to be like. Um, and then they can follow through. So that's one thing, like one of the issues when it comes to booking. I'd say the other is maybe just another reason to have a form submit or maybe a lower barrier conversion action at some point on the landing page because you're not going to be able to convince everybody that it's a good idea or that they should trust you. So if you have all those essential elements that build trust, like your location and hours and directions and client testimonials or student testimonials, if you have all that, you're still going to have people who just don't want to sign up. So at that point, just give them another option. They should be able to find somewhere on your site, some other way to get in contact with you that doesn't require paying money if they're just not willing to. That is... That could be a whole episode on its own. So I'm not going to ask any follow-up questions on that point, but I completely agree there. Um, you know, I think we're kind of moving into the close here. Let me think if there's any other questions I want to put you on the spot with. Actually, there is. What What do you think? Anyone listening who you know they're they're just feverishly taking notes, they're sweating. Um, they've heard everything you're saying. They're you know they feel inspired to go out and build their own Facebook uh, campaign. They're going to sign up, you know, for business manager, all that stuff. Um, here's my question. What should they, as a newbie at doing Facebook ads, meta ads, what should they accept as a acceptable conversion rate, let's say on just a free trial offer or, you know, a, a sign up, uh, you know, a sign up to become a lead on someone's site or landing page. Like, what would you say? Yeah, if you're beginning at this, try to shoot for this kind of conversion rate. What percentage would you say? Maybe rather than percentage, mm. I would say like the cost per acquisition. Ooh, see? So the cost mm. per 
uh, whatever the conversion action is. And that again, like I'll give you an answer, but <laughs> but don't totally take my word for it because it is something that varies significantly between yes. schools, the price of your lessons, the lifetime value of a student. But I would say under $200 for sure if you have like pretty high price lesson and pretty long lifetime of students at your studio, right. probably under $100 for something like a trial lesson. If you're doing like calls, those should cost you $10 max or less. Okay. Um, that's my, <laughs> that's my very broad it would really depend on your setup though. See, but I, I love your perspective because again, it kind of modifies how I think about it because my obsession, quote unquote, has always been, what is the landing page conversion percentage? Like, what is that number? Because if it's below a certain threshold, from my perspective, that's unacceptable to me. Now, I do think about conversion cost, but that's a more sophisticated metric. And I don't talk about that one as much because that, that like you're saying, that's a harder thing to nail down. It's easier to point to something easier because a lot of times what I found is, let's say for Google ads, if I have above a 5% conversion rate in a page, my conversion cost is basically, I don't even care about it at that point because if I'm above 5%, I'm just crushing it. Um, you know, I, I would be returning six to one on my Google ads sometimes when I was self-managing back when my studio was still open. Um, so I was shooting for the percentage there, but I also like that idea of the conversion. Uh, what's it cost for you to get the call? What's it cost for you to get the trial? What's it cost for you to actually get the student? That's a really good way of thinking about it. Um, all right. I think we're kind of heading here to the close. Like I said, is there anything else that you would insert into the conversation here right now that, um, that, uh, you think people should know, or that you felt like, ah, I didn't, I couldn't really find a good place to insert this. Yeah, for sure. Um, I would say, so Facebook ads can be an excellent opportunity for a music school, but this <laughs> coming from somebody who does this as my job, I don't think it's necessary for everybody. I'm not pushing for like every music school out there. You need to run Facebook ads. It's going to be great. Go for it. That's not actually true. If you already are big enough to be able to afford the pretty significant cost of Facebook ads um, or Google ads or anything else, and you have a lot of things nailed down, like your process with students, how your intake works, how your follow-up works, all of that, if you have pretty good retention, like there is a pretty specified scenario where it's really worth a major investment into Facebook ads. Um, so it can be great if you're there, but don't feel like, you know, I, I'm not saying every single music school out there needs to run Facebook ads, much less like hire an agency to run Facebook ads. That's a whole new level. Like you really need to be um, either have really high growth goals or have pretty decent revenue or a size to start with before you're taking steps like that. So like dive in, do your research, give it a test, especially if you're like somebody willing to take a risk step out there. It can be excellent. It can be a game changer um, or it, it just might not be for you. Yeah, yeah. So uh, if you'd like a deeper dive in all this, you know, I've got good news for you. Um, Elizabeth, and I are, Elizabeth and I are planning to host a more in-depth training on Facebook ads sometime in the near future. Um, and so I'm going to make details available later. But for now, just know this, that if you're on the Grow Your Music Studio email list, you will hear about that in the near future. Um, if you're not on the Grow Your Music Studio email list, it's also easy. 
just go to greatmusicstudio.com. Scroll down to the bottom of the page. You can sign up for the email list there. You can go to greatmusicstudio.com slash free. You can sign up there. You can go to greatmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS, this podcast. You can sign up there, like any place that you can sign up. And um, we're going to be sending out more information about that in the near future. And if you don't want to have to learn this stuff yourself, but want a certified genius doing it for you, obviously, that's why I had her on today. Again, I've got clients who I'm coaching that uh, or are uh, involved with Grow in some way that have just said that they're getting leads hand over fist um, after they start working with Elizabeth. Um, So just reach out. um, And I will say that you need to be in a position where you are wanting quite a lot of leads and prepared to spend a fairly good amount of money on Facebook ads. So just take that into account. If you have 20 students at 130, this is probably not the thing for you. Um, so thanks, Elizabeth. Where can people find you? Yeah, you can just go to our website, redblindmedia.com forward slash music schools. Um, I highly encourage you to check it out. We actually have a lot of stuff on there, some tools that you can use. Um, and you can also just contact us through the website. Cool. Thanks so much. And uh, love to have you back on sometime. Maybe talk about some stuff that we skipped over today. There's a few places where I really wanted to drill down, dive in, and uh, didn't have, just felt, ah, that's probably another whole episode. So maybe we can have a chat again in the future. So thanks so much for sharing your time with us, Elizabeth. And uh, we'll see you all on the next one. Great. Thanks, Daniel. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, Would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please, share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.